0: This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on iTunes.Villanova.edu.
1: Father Fadul is the president of Caritas, Lebanon. And if people uh, are not familiar with Caritas, it's the Lebanese... Caritas is the Catholic Relief Service. All over the world we call him Caritas. I believe only in the United States we don't call it Caritas. But it's the Catholic Relief Service of Lebanon. He is the, the president of that institution. He also has a very distinguished academic career. He has at least one doctorate, just one doctorate at this time, one doctorate in education and, and two masters? You said maybe three? Or two <laughs> masters of education. Uh, the doctorate and the one master's is from Providence College. The second one is uh, the master's is from the College of Education University of the Holy Spirit in Kuslik, Lebanon. Uh, he speaks one or two languages. What is it, Arabic, English, French? no. Na- Greek, Italian, okay. Uh, I've had the pleasure of being with uh, Father Padou for the last two or three days. We were down in Washington, D.C. yesterday at a congressional briefing. And uh, I can tell you from my perspective, he's a man who's committed to uh, Lebanon, he's committed to the Christians of the Middle East, and I think he has a unique perspective of the future and, and what the possibility can be in the middle east uh, lebanon being a model but uh the middle east is one or i think the future of the middle east being one where there are it's open for everybody and it's a, a hopefully in the future a positive place we see we hear too much negative negativity about it uh we're going to talk today about the iraqi uh refugees and uh also about christians in the middle east we'll talking for about half an hour and then we have a, a nice time for questions answered but
2: uh, thank you. Thank you, Marwan. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Reverend Fathers, all friends. Well, I was uh, yesterday, or uh, well, the day before, on Tuesday when I arrived, the first thing I saw, I came to uh, Dr. Marwan's class, uh, Mr. Marwan's class, and Father Cale uh, was given a presentation on Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And I noticed uh, that uh, uh, to some it was interesting, maybe some others weren't so interested, which is like everything else, Yani, in the world. But before I start, I would like to hear, especially from the younger generation, Yanni, uh, whether they have uh, like a clear idea about this area of the Middle East and North Africa, not only the Middle East, because uh, Egypt and Sudan and these are countries in North Africa Although they are, uh, when we talk about them, we consider them among the Middle East because they are Arab countries. Ahlan, alan, you are most welcome. When we first talked, Marwan and I, over the internet, uh, we agreed to talk first about the Iraqi plight. But then uh, afterwards we said, no, it's better to... Uh, mention a little bit about the Christians of the area. And then uh, uh, the Syria, Syria's crisis came about, and I think you're all following on the news. And you know what's been happening in Syria. And uh, some were interested in knowing about Syria. I'm not going to talk about everything, don't worry. And uh, the PowerPoint, I just put it up to have a little introduction on some statistics. But I want you first to know from you, do you have any idea what are the numbers of Christians in the Middle East and North Africa region? Do you have any idea? Did you know there are Christians there? This is a good question.
3: Well, really, I'm from Iraq. You are welcome. Sometimes when here when you say to someone that you are a Christian, says what? They, they, really are, surprised. That they are surprised. Yeah. To know that there are Christians. That's true. not be more than twenty percent of uh, the population of the area. Okay. And now, after all, people spreading out, it's about 15
2: or less. Yes. Well, uh, the figures are quite close. But as, first of all, there are no exact figures or exact census in that respect. To start with Egypt, which is, I think, uh, The numbers of Christians is the largest within the Middle East and North Africa. Because Copts, when I was 15 years old, I am now 54. When I was 15 years old, 40 years ago, we used to study in the the history book and uh, uh, demography and whatever, that in Egypt there are 8 million Copts at that time. So 40 years after, the Egyptian government says, there are only 6 million Copts. The Coptic Church, during the uh, Pope Snowda's uh, funeral a month ago, uh, there was reports on TV. They said, officially in Egypt, we have 12 million Copts. And another 4 to 6 million spread all over the world. So anyway, this is the largest church. In Lebanon, where Christians have more freedom to move, and they have their... High position in the government, wherever, we also don't have a very exact census. Everybody is afraid to have a census, because no one wants to know what the real figures are. But the official papers, on the official government papers, I and mean, in the voting polls, whatever, we have about 33 percent Christians in Lebanon. But still it's the only place where Christians have enough freedom to speak up and to voice their opinion. Uh, what I'm going to show quickly, just a few icons, uh, just as introduction, because of the importance of the area. Jesus' apostolate, death, resurrection took place in the Holy Land. Alright? We'll get later on to the Holy Land. The apostles preached the gospel and carried the good news to all neighboring areas throughout the Eastern Roman Empire at that time, converting communities into Christianity. If you go back to Acts of the Apostles, St. Paul, the Didache, which is a document from the first century, uh, and you can read a lot about this. So Christians have existed in the area over 2,000, for over 2,000 years. This is what I want to say. This is the conclusion. I want to say this now, so that we understand later that we are not guests there. We are citizens of the land, and it's very important to start with it. Islam, however, didn't start till the year 630. Muslim vocation was imposed by the sword, Aslam, Taslam in Arabic means, which means become Muslim, you remain alive at the time. Not now, but at the time, that's how it started. Christians have since then suffered repeated persecutions all over, especially during the Ottoman Empire, which ruled the area for around 400 years. So it's not new. I'm saying this because nowadays so many people keep nagging and weeping and whatever about persecution. I want to say our forefathers paid much higher price. It's not this. So Christians were behind the Arab cultural, social and political uprising in the early 20th century. After World War I, philosophers, writers... Uh, poets, journalists living inside their respective countries or abroad, they were behind. Jibran Khalil, you all know the name of Jibran, the prophet, huh? Who is a Lebanese? He was among the people, you know, the poets, the philosophers, and the writers, and he is also a painter as well, uh, who uh, uh, were behind the cultural uprising in the area. And so many in Egypt and Lebanon. Uh, everywhere, in Iraq, everywhere. Even political movements and parties were initiated by Christians. The Bas party, whatever. You know, So despite their efforts, they were never allowed to feel they belong and the country is theirs. Egypt, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Syria, they never felt they really belonged. Because, well, especially in places like Egypt, for instance, they've always been a uh, second-class citizen, unfortunately, that's how they, they feel, at least. So in Lebanon, where they were behind the nation's birth, the Christian, and felt responsible of its growth, those who climbed the political ladder in the government did not succeed in promoting proper governance, and some even exploited their positions to the fullest, not caring about the country's future, neither their religious community's well-being. I'm I'm saying this to say this is a kind of self-critique. Uh, Christians of Lebanon, they could have built a much better country had they been really uh, focused on doing on performing better. Some statistics to go quickly. No one, as I said, can tell the exact figures. About forty years ago, I, I said this. Anyway, uh, until now, Copts have no say in public life, and are generally a second-class, and. This is a piece of information that's important. I don't know if uh, you agree with me, Mrs. Barsoom. I don't know if you agree. Some Christians, when born, the mayor refuses to register the child as Christian. He registered the child as Muslim. And if the parents refuse, he won't register them. And this is one, one reason why numbers go down at times. Happenings in Iraq, Egypt, elsewhere in the region, demonstrations, religious conflicts, persecution, etc. We witness a fear being generated in people's hearts, fear of the unknown. We are at a crossroads there: restrained religious freedom, economic instability, Christian political void, etc. All these are problems. In Iran, two-thirds of the small Christian community has left the country already, and the third remaining, you know. The Iranian government claim it's it's a freedom, but we all know they have, well, they are waiting. They don't know what for, I think, for a better opportunity to move, to do something else, at least those who visited. In Iraq, the majority of Christians is already spread in different surrounding countries, where many are awaiting relocation to safer zones in the world. Out of the 1.4 to 5 million Christian Iraqis, only 400,000 remained in Iraq. Am I right? Iraqi people can... Uh, only remained in Iraq and are awaiting better order. Most of them have fled to the northern part, to the Kurdistan, where they could have a bit of freedom to move. And the rest who are there, they are always under pressure, under persecution, under fear. They know what to do. I am the president of Caritas Lebanon. We work with 2,600 families, Iraqi families in Lebanon. The average family is five persons, which is about 12,000 people. Not one single person we asked whether he or she would like to go back home to Iraq. Not one single says yes. Not one. It's a very, very worrisome thing. It's really something. So anyway, I will come back to the Iraqi question because we're going to talk about it further. A remarkable percentage of Copts in in Egypt has opted for migrations. Those who are there, they live on a day-to-day basis, not knowing what the future holds for them. After the revolution, so, so many people had hopes and expectations from the revolution. But unfortunately, until now, until now, it hasn't proven to be a very prosperous and fruitful revolution to the people, at least to all the people, even the young people who went uh, into Tahrir Square, reclaiming the country. You know, uh, were deceived. As in all the countries, the Arab Spring hasn't been really spring until now. Certainly, we have to understand also, uh, regimes do not change over time, over, over uh, overnight systems, political systems, these people were living under pressure, under one regime for 30 years, 35 years, 40 years, 42 years in Libya, in Syria, 40 years now, they didn't know any better, it's normal to give it time, to take time, uh, to see, you know, what kind of system will end up, they will end up with, but however, until now, things do not look so good, I think. Well, we all know that. Following the news we know. Uh, Lebanon had witnessed migration earlier and still at times. Now, in terms of social impact, problems of unemployment following the uprisings and or turmoil are growing terribly. As it is the case in Egypt, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Tunisia, Algeria, Palestine, Lebanon, etc. Why I included Lebanon? Because Lebanon breathes from the Arab world. And we work, our people work in the Arab world. We cannot, we, our access to the Arab world, to the Gulf and everywhere, it's through Syria. Now, with the events in Syria, with the circumstances, we are kind of locked in. So it's, it's uh, really important. Uh, the increase of unemployment with Egyptians leaving their work in Libya and returning home. You know, after the Libyan thing, so many people came back. Hence, unemployment is rising in almost in all countries of the MENA region. Income-generating and job-providing sectors have been greatly damaged, especially tourism, which is going through a true crisis. And the area is well known for its touristic capabilities and potentials because of the history it's involved with. What I'm saying here, in other words, joblessness, living continuous fear, no horizon, you know, If the situation persists in Syria, its neighbors will will have a problem accommodating all its refugees. Now in Lebanon, we have over 20,000 refugees. In Turkey, 25,000 refugees. In Jordan, around 15,000 refugees. We don't know the numbers, how much will they grow. We have no idea. Under such a scenario, our biggest fear would be now Syria's Christians, how Syria's Christians would react. What if the fundamentalists take over the government? These are legitimate questions that we need to ask ourselves, because we have seen the Iraqi example, the Iraqi example have taught everybody a lesson, a very harsh lesson, and then we have seen and we are seeing the Egyptian lesson, example. Also, it hasn't been that ideal and great. You remember, all of you remember, a couple years ago, you know, the Our Lady in Iraq, the, uh, the, the, the bombing, 52 dead, and... Hundreds of uh, people wounded in Iraq, the church of the two saints that was blown up also with the people in it, So and so forth and so on. In all cases, whether Christians or Muslim, people crave for the security that they are, that they are unable to find in their countries and think seriously about leaving, migrating. We as Caritas... We feel obligated to reach out to all, especially to Christians fleeing war zones. Now in Lebanon, around 12,000 Iraqis are being looked after by Caritas Lebanon. Over 4,000 Syrians. This was the uh, quite, yeah, about a month ago. Now the numbers are, have grown. Uh, four in Akkar, which is in the north. Now we have started working in the Bika' in the east, with another three to four thousand people. Those who we have been able to reach. 20 monasteries and or schools have been reserved in case of emergencies in different zones, especially in Mount Lebanon. Due to its rich and successful experience in handling emergencies, Caritas Lebanon has started to establish contacts with historic partners and probable donors for an efficient and effective response. What I want to say here, to go back to a bit of statistics, the Holy Land where, you know, the Apostles started, the, 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 the Kerygma started of Jesus, we still have about 25,000 Christians in the Holy Land. Don't you ever think that it is, the persecution is coming only from the Palestinian side? No, it's not true. It might be true partially. But from the other side as well, it's true. And so the Christians are between two fires, between here and there. And they have to pay the price in both, for both parties. It's the same situation now. They are living in Syria. If they are with the opposition, poor they. If they are with the regime, they have to pay tax also. You know, from from their bl- with their blood, and if they are in the middle, both parties are angry with them. So poor thing, we don't know what to do. This is the reality. This is the reality. And. If I want to go back to to the Iraqi uh, uh, plight, to give it a little bit more attention than the others. I was reading the other day an article uh, in, if you know, the AINA, Assyrian International News Agency. The Assyrian International News Agency. It reports very, very, it sends very good reports over the internet. You can find it. AINA, A-I-N-A, all right? They were saying, as if the Iraqis' problems weren't enough by being persecuted and migrated and whatever, even now in European countries, they are being forced and pressured to leave their country, the country which has adopted them, and to be deported back to Iraq. Which means, deported back to Iraq means condemned. No other way around. This situation has been really detrimental. But I tell you what, should we stop hoping? No. Should we continue weeping, in my opinion? No. I think at present we are hearing a lot of demoralizing speeches. And uh, a kind of, you know, uh, A speech that is very negative and that is very, if you want, blaming speech, we need to hear a different kind of speech without uh, denying the truth, the facts, the numbers. But we need to hear different kinds of speech. Is there a future for the Christians of the area? In my opinion, yes, there is a future and we could make a better future. But it's up to us. When I say up to us, not only the Christians of the area, all of us Christians and Muslims and Jews and all people of all denominations denominations alike. Because we have to start believing in the human being and in the right of every human being to have, you know, to live in dignity everywhere in this world and especially in in the Middle East and North Africa. Where I think for the past, what, since the... Palestinian-Israeli thing erupted, you know. It hasn't stopped yet. It hasn't ceased. It hasn't ceased. We feel at times as if we are doomed. You talk with our young people, their ambition, you know, you ask them, what's your ambition in life? You know what the answer is? Guess. Fly. Leave another passport, another country, it's not fair, it's not fair. I was school principal for 17 years. I graduated over 2,000 you know, young men and women. They are spread now all over the world. Beautiful people, beautiful professionals, successful. I can find only three to 400 people out you know, of them in Lebanon. And the rest are all over. In the U.S., in Europe, in whatever, Australia, and Canada, whatever. Whatever. They can find a refuge, they go. Wherever they can find a better life, they go. Isn't this the situation of the Iraqis who are living in Syria, or those who are living in Lebanon, or those who are in northern Iraq, or those in anywhere in the world? Yes, it is. To make the long story short, I want to state my case. I personally believe in three-fold action plan, if you want, or strategy: lobbying, mounting or rising collective self-esteem, and having a common and shared vision. Lobbying—it's a political lobbying, and we need to do it everywhere in the world especially within with you know next to political powers like the USA and Europe namely i say so and really where they if we want to succeed we have to stress on not the political games they play rather on the rights of people to exist and to live and to continue to live in dignity and this could be the job of every ngo every university every student in university every collective and uh, collectivity and group you know we have to do this and the more we do it we exercise our right to do so the better changes we're able to bring about secondly rising self esteem collective self esteem we have been witnessing within the Christians of the area a kind of uh, despair. Despair. Disgust. They don't know what to do. I think it's our job. I personally feel it heavily and I work on it. And I, I do invite you all. I invite all my colleagues, my brothers, the priests, my uh, my, my colleagues at the universities, where I teach everything, to really take an active role in this, we need to help our people instead of focusing on religious belonging and feeling antagonistic, you know, having antagonistic feeling against, against one another, to focus on citizenship, on living out our citizenship fully and truly to act assertively, to interact with others on an equal basis as citizens rather than believers against believers. They have, we have the right to plan ahead, to dream of a better tomorrow, and to work on making those dreams come true. Such an attitude could see the light if we are willing to change our speech and our way of thinking. Why should we continue weeping and nagging? Why should we, why don't we make an effort to get out of our inferiority, minority, and the persecution complexes? You know, I started with the, with the uh, 400 years of Ottoman rule, when Christians were persecuted all over. But for our forefathers were not, really, they didn't know any despair. were not demoralized. They kept their morale high. Because they had a focus, and the focus was on the objective. And the objective was to live and to adore our God freely, wherever we are. I can speak of the Maronite Church, where our forefathers went into the mountains, you know. They smashed the rocks to plant things so that they could live there. And if you go visit Lebanon, and some of you have visited, they know, and you go to the Khadijah Valley, you see a living example of such a thing. Why can't we continue to live like that? Using all the technology and the, 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 the IT world and whatever you want. We need to. We need to help Christians rise their self-esteem, self-image, so they could look ahead. So they refuse the status quo and they impose another that could be more suitable to all citizens regardless of their religious belonging. And the third thing is to have a common... And shared vision. And what they say here is a kind of another auto critique to our leadership, political leadership and church leadership. You know, the Lebanese feel a little bit superior because of the little freedom they enjoy. <laughs> no problem, please, please. We're sorry we don't have enough room, but. Uh, The Copts know very well that they they form the majority of Christians in the area. But they have been undermined for so long. It's very difficult for them to rise above this status, this, this situation. The others in other countries feel outcasted and marginalized. They are happy of being left alone so their existence won't be endangered. In the midst of the war in Iraq... And while thousands of Christians were being persecuted and fleeing the country, different church officials weren't able to agree on one common common, common strategy or plan on how to handle things. We long to see a vision that is common and shared by all Christians of the area, and we all, Join efforts to make these efforts and our work activities converge into that direction. We long to that. Sometimes we wonder, do we know how to do it or not? If we don't, here comes the role of our friends in in the world to help us come up with such a vision. But if we do, we have to start working, to start working on this. In a final message, in a world increasingly growing apart, a new kind of apostolate is needed. Everyone has to get involved. Everyone has to feel responsible and contribute in making the situation not merely more bearable, but also and especially more promising for the area's Christians. Whether you're a Christian, Muslim, Jew, or any sort of believer, Religious or non-religious, you need to feel concerned. You need to fight against misfortune, mistreatment, persecution, exclusion, and inferiority. Lobbying groups and government officials have to address this issue wholeheartedly and without uh, hesitation. We all need to raise our voices in official settings as well as in universities, churches, temples, everywhere in the world. So that all people can live equally and horizontally. You know, I want to tell you a story I want to tell you a story to end my talk with. The story, it's about the eagle and the chicken. It says a hunter went out to hunt. And as he was going around hunting, he looked in the sky and saw a very big bird. Oh my God, this is an eagle. He got his gun and shot it. It died. So he climbed up to the rock. You know, eagles they fly high, and they usually they put their nest and wherever on uh, high rocks. So he climbed up and to pick up the corpse, the bird, and he saw there is a nest, and he found an egg in the nest. He took the egg and came home. Consulted with his wife, what should we do with eagle's egg? I don't know what to do. Well, his wife. Being wise, told him, why don't you put it, you know, in the chickens' den? It's as simple as this. He went and he put it with the chickens. One of the chickens volunteered and sat on it. And after a while, a little eagle was born. But this eagle was born in the chicken den. And here, he grew up with other with the siblings and the friends, which are chickens. One day, as he was playing with the kids around, he looked up and he saw a big bird in the sky. And he asked his friends, what is this? They said, this is eagle. This is, he is the king of the skies. We don't dare look at it. See, we fly three, four feet, five feet. Look at him. He is overruling the skies. That uh, uh, little eagle looked at his body, looked at says, but don't I look like him? No, 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 you are just a chicken. Only your color is different than ours. But you are just a chicken. See, we grew up chicken. So after a while, he continued. Every time the same story gets repeated. And one day, this little thing says, Come on, why should I continue listening to them? Why don't I try? And he did try. And the first time he was able to rise a bit above his friends. And the second day more. And the third day more. And then he realized that he, yes, he was an eagle. And he regained his own identity. And he did rule the skies. Well, Christians of the area have been treated like a chicken. Like a chicken, believe me. And we have been, you know, feeling as if we were chicken. And nobody would accept to allow us to think differently. Well, I think now we need to get our acts together and say, no, we are eagles. Our Lord wanted us to to fly high, much higher than just earth and earthly things. And the only way to do it is to believe in ourselves, to believe in our cause, to believe in our Jesus and say, yes, we are eagles and we need to fly. We need to fight exclusion and preach and adopt inclusion so that everybody can be a part of the new countries we dream of and we want to build for our children. Thank you. I abode by the time. Good. (laughs) Uh, Father, thank you very much for uh, giving such information about Christians all in the area. I have some comments. Go ahead, please.
3: You said it was in the old days, and you repeated that twice, that the beginning of Islam, Islam, Islam. As a matter of fact, it's now applied. but a more severe. All days, if you be a Muslim, you will be safe. Otherwise, you pay the money, which is jizya, and then you will not have to serve in the army. Now you don't have this uh, option. The only option is either convert or you will be good. And uh, it's not being spoken by people who are not educated, like people who just ninth grade or sixth grade or high school. It's being spoken by university professors. My wife is a university professor, and her colleague asked her to convert to Islam. He said, it's better for you to be a Muslim so that you will go to heaven. And it's safer for you now to be a Muslim than being a Christian. <coughs> so it's not only old days, it's now being more severe. Maybe we can ask one question and answer
2: it and yeah. then go to the next one. Okay. I, I, uh, I must agree with you on, well, I would say about 75% of what you said. Why? Because I, I think, and please listen very attentively to this. I believe that even moderate Muslims are endangered in this period of time. Even even moderate Muslims are being in danger. Why? Take the example of Algeria a few years back, when the fundamentalists used to attack people, you know, while, while asleep and kill them because they are different. Take the example now in Iraq. What happens to moderate Muslims? In uh, Egypt, what's happening to moderate Muslims? Do they dare say anything? Even the Azhar had to pull out, to withdraw from the committee of the, the Constitution because it was made out of all, you know, the Ikhwan al-Muslimin. So it is really what you're saying is true. We need to say things as they are, but also we need always to, to be able to discern between categories of people so that, you know, we don't generalize. We avoid generalizing. Thank you. Okay, let's,
1: let's ask some other questions and we'll get back to you. <coughs>
2: Father?
3: father would you please share your experience in Washington DC with whom did you speak how do you feel you received and responded
2: to well uh, uh, we had a congressional hearing in which we had uh, about 50 uh, of uh, the immediate uh, congressman aides who were there uh, well I, I shared with them the the information Certainly, we pinpointed uh, what can be done uh, at their level and wherever. Uh, many people were interested, and many questions uh, very enlightening questions were addressed. Uh, we had in the panel another uh, person, a doctor, Pakistani doctor, and then Dr. James Zurbi, who facilitated the panel. Uh, I would say it was a very enlightening session, and as a matter of fact, Last night, I got the first two emails from two aides who were there, uh, requesting some more information, uh, something that really made me very happy because some people, and I thank them for the close, uh, for the close follow-up and, you know, uh, promptness in that. Yeah, that's it. Well, there is plenty of dialogue happening, but they are all just initiatives and uh, what uh, Mr uh, Tamer says unfortunately has been overruling everything else. And, you know you hold the conference intelligence dialogue a conference for two days or three days, and then uh, afterwards uh, it dies on you. Uh, What's more, uh, I think, durable and important is to have live dialogue uh, through uh, social and socio-humanitarian and development actions or uh, uh, programs or projects in which you have a joint venture between the people so that you can really prove that uh, live dialogue is the true dialogue. It hasn't been happening so much in, in Iraq. Uh, For the exception maybe of one or two projects that were led by Caritas Iraq, uh, supported by CRS. And we in in Lebanon, we have a very strong program in peace building, for for instance. Uh, And in Lebanon, we are best suited for that because we grow up together and there is freedom and we share the same schools and whatever, you see. And still, uh, it's not that easy. We find it very difficult to uh, uh, realize when, uh, when uh, we are put to the test. You understand what I mean? Uh, because after all, when, when put to the test, it seems like everybody goes back to, uh, to, to ground zero, their own ground zero. You see what I mean? Uh, this is the problematic of it. Now, uh, there are so many efforts that are being done in the area and elsewhere in Europe and here in the States, as a matter of fact, Marwan and I were talking the last couple of days uh, of uh, putting something together here at the university uh, in this respect. And, uh, it's good. It's better than not having it. But until now, it hasn't been successful. And in my personal opinion, because we allow political interferences to go in, and it ruins everything. That's, thank you. Sir? 1.5 1.5. 1.45, yes. Yeah. And now you said they are 400,000. The estimates. Why do you think this decrease in, in just eight years? Well, uh, listen, during the Saddam regime, after the Kuwaiti war, some could uh, foresee the danger coming, just little fled, left the country. And then after the 2003 American invasion of the country, unfortunately, things got out of hand. You know, uh, and uh, Christians were uh, the weakest category among the population, within the population. They had to pay the price. And everybody, if a Muslim, you know, uh, fundamentalist, was angry with his wife, He would come and hit the Christian. Bomb a house. You see what I mean. So it was so bad. So people started to flee, to leave the country. At one time, at one time, uh, sorry to interrupt. In Syria alone, a few years ago, there was about a million Iraqi refugees. In Syria alone. This is a fact. This is the numbers by the Syrian government about four years ago. In Lebanon, we have over 20,000 Iraqi refugees because Lebanon, the government, it's not considers Lebanon not as an asylum-seeking uh, uh, country. And w- they haven't signed, you know, the international agreement passed in 1951 that in, in terms of uh, seeking asylum. And still, we have over 20,000 Iraqi refugees until now. You see what I mean out of which about 80% are Christians. We as Caritas, we have witnessed the relocation, the departure of over 5,000 Christian Iraqis using Lebanon, through Lebanon, to Europe, the States, and Canada, and Australia. We blame whomever you like. But what good does it do to all of us? It's not a matter of blaming. Who's who's to blame? They are all to blame. Sure. Politics first. And then, there is one thing that I I forgot to mention, which is important. Still, so many Muslims, especially the fundamentalists, they do confuse Christianity with political interferences. So every time the West intervenes in politics in their lives wherever they hit the Christians in the Middle East because they feel this is a Crusades you know a few years back when the uh, Journalist caricaturist in, in Denmark made some caricature about uh, the Prophet Muhammad uh, in Beirut We had a demonstration they came to Ashrafia which is a Christian quarter and they, they, they broke everything It was like crazy. People went out of their mind. And so they take it out on someone else. They cannot take it out on America directly. They take it out on, because they confuse, you know, between this and that. And that's why we don't need, we do not need political interferences and interventions. But we need, yes, social development, peace building uh, 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 initiatives in that respect. And we can take care of ourselves. We need their help and their support, moral support, educational support, financial support. Yes, but we should be the people leading the initiatives, not any foreigner. And we can. We are able. We can do it. Because I think, I think the percentage of educated people in the Middle East and North Africa is really very, very high. And people are able to do whatever. We all know they got their education in the Western world and they are uh, ready to, you know, start building themselves.
3: When I've noticed who the Americans are who go to bat for the uh, Middle Eastern Christians, it seems to me they are fundamentalists, they are Southern Baptists, they are on the extreme political right. Is that the case? Have you noticed that, that they are the Americans who are most
2: vocal about the harms done to the Middle Eastern Christians? Well, when it comes to to war and when it comes to uh, the uh, fundamentalists, I don't think they do distinguish or discern, you know, between this and that. But when it comes to initiative taken from the Western side, uh, uh, mainly it is, yes, the Christian extremists as well, Mm -hmm. who are... uh, 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 starting the, the, the whole thing. However, we cannot really—I cannot name this or that because I don't have facts. I can refer to certain speeches given by this politician or that politician and say, you know, this is not allowed. And it's—it's it's very easy to lead a war when you're sitting at home in your farm in Texas or wherever, and you—you you, know—you uh, uh, have no idea what's going on in the world. But it's not easy when you're sitting in your home in Beirut or in Cairo or in Baghdad or wherever, and you're getting hit every day. Certainly, it's not. And then.
0: Uh, I'm sorry, I, I missed a big part of the lecture, and I regret that. I could not find the No problem.
2: No, I didn't talk politics.
1: That's
0: one point. The other uh, point is the education system in the Arab world uh, needs to be reformed because it, it prepares the people for to be a uh, fertile ground for
2: That's true. For conflicts. Especially for antagonism against Christians. In some in some books, uh, uh, in some Arab countries, they refer to Christians as uh, kuffar. How do we translate it? Yani, infidel. infidel, infidel, as infidels, and they need to be, you know, uh, uh, treated as uh, like animals, and or uh, be killed or whatever, like this. The first part of your uh, question, I really don't want to get into uh, politics. Certainly, I spoke on the Christian side about the Western interferences. On the Muslim side, we know—we all know now, we know what's going on in Egypt and in Syria and wherever, and who's behind who's. You see what I mean? Whether it's uh, on the regime's part or on the opposition's part, and we know which countries are sending the money and treating this, but uh, for us, we are not political ana- anal- analysts. Yeah, we need, I think, in the change process, uh, you need to change the whole package. And this uh, it's going to take a lot, uh, very long time. And I think uh, Saudis, for instance, or whomever, yani, similar to them, they are going to be the first to pay the price. It's like when when the U.S. supported, you know, the Taliban in uh, Afghanistan against Russia. And then afterwards, the Taliban turned against America. And now they are number one enemy. You know what I mean. It's uh, politics. It's politics. Everyone can overnight turns against another one. And, you know, you know what I mean. It's interests. That's why I said, in in my intervention, I said, we need to start thinking beyond interests beyond gains, beyond profits, and to really the human dignity and the human rights and how to be able to cause <laughs> positive change in that respect. Yeah, I had a
0: question about uh, Caritas Lebanon and what your relationship
1: is to the Catholic Near East group, Monsignor Stern, if any. And, and, and also any other, uh, any Islamic relief
2: or Islamic associations that are, Involved in the relief effort? Caritas Lebanon is equivalent to Catholic Charities within the States and Catholic Relief Service, which works outside the States. And it's a part of the 165 Caritas in the world. We do work in over 200 countries. Caritas Lebanon is completely independent, but like in the, we are a confederation of Caritases. Our bureau of confeder- Confederating Bureau is in Rome at the Vatican. And it only coordinates among members. So, w- what we do is we work with everybody. S- certainly, we do have a special relations with the Knewa people, the Pontifical Mission, and with the, we are a strategic partners with CRS, with the, all these uh, Christian organizations and Caritases, certainly. And we do have very close uh, working relationships with uh, some Muslim organizations that are institutional organizations. Yeah, that belongs to uh, the uh, Sunni or to the Shiite or to the Druze as a community, not as individuals. You see what they mean? Uh, yeah, for instance, next week after I return, we have w- one day scheduled with the Orphan, the institution of the Orphan, which is the Druze a charitable organization. You know, we, we, we spend a day, try to coordinate our activities, see where we can, you know, uh, have ends meet and uh, collaborate on activities and stuff. The same thing, now we are in the process of writing a project together, a proposal for USAID, uh, along with a Shiite organization. So, yes, we do have. And that's why when I answered about the introduced dialogue, I said, what we believe is much more durable is the dialogue of life. And this is a kind of dialogue of life, if we can uh, mount together, put up together, you know, uh, projects and um, uh, uh, social programs and work on it together, we could bring people closer, much closer, because the more you know one another, the more we know one another, the less uh, stress and uh, constraints we might encounter.
3: Please go ahead. Dictatorships has dictatorships <coughs> it's all dictatorships. Yes.
2: dictatorships have exploited their religion for their own personal benefit we all know that and we all know they didn't uh, grant Christians a bit of freedom or whatever because they like Christians because they wanted to exploit their existence it's the same situation in Egypt and Iraq and Syria everywhere we all know that, fine I think the problem with us is, what kind of democracy are we looking for? What is the understanding of the people there of democracy? Is it the conventional democracy that is, has been going on in the Western world? or another kind of democracy? We don't know. Yani, until now, the example of Egypt or the example of Tunisia, or example, or whatever, they are not they haven't proven to be good examples so far. Certainly, it it requires time. It needs time. And I think they realize that they cannot go on excluding people. I think so. We hope, and I hope I'm right in what I think, and um, uh, if really they they do uh, realize this, and we go, because democracy imposes (coughs) equality among people. Horizontal relations. This is democracy. If they are gonna give the Sharia is gonna be the source of every law and constitution in the country, it's no longer democracy. This is as as simple as this. You see what I mean? Yeah, but the the death uh, one one last comment, the death of our took had proven to be so powerful that the Khan love because God is loved. That's true. That's, that's why, that's what I, that's why I mentioned that the Azhar withdrew from the, yeah, that's true, we hope. You know the, uh,
1: I'll just
2: Uh, uh, Caritas Iraq works within Iraq. Caritas Lebanon works within Lebanon. We work with the Iraqi refugees in Lebanon. We take care of about, as I said, 2,600 families with an average of five members per family, which is about 12,000 people. We are the implementing organization for the UNHCR in working with the Iraqi refugees. And we work closely with them we provide education we provide lodging housing we provide uh, health uh, care we provide uh, counseling uh, social therapy we have two three community centers we have you know uh, medical centers uh, dispensaries whatever so we do we do all this uh, and sometimes we run into practical problems because the UNHCR sets certain criteria that you cannot meet in real world. For example, I'm going to take an example. But like at Christmas, UNHCR says you distribute $250 per family, but only families who have kids under 18. Okay, we have four, five, six families in the same area who have been benefiting from our work with them for the past six, uh, five, six years. And they have kids under 18, they have kids above 18, all right? And that you tell them you don't meet the criteria. And they start shouting and yelling and crying and because w- when you talk, it's, it's nothing maybe $250, it's not nothing maybe. But for them, it's a, it's a great thing during the holiday. So in such cases, I, I have to intervene. I had, in this example, for example, I had to, co- to, to contact a friend of mine to get a uh, donation of $20,000 and put it for cases like this, just to fill the gap. Things like these, we coordinate on a daily basis with the UNHCR, so that we try to avoid any problems of this kind. Also, we take care of all the Iraqi detainees in Lebanon's detention centers or prisons. Because they come in and become illegally in, you know, especially men, they are illegal. So we take care of them, we visit with them, we look after their families until their problem is resolved. You see what I mean? Also, we have problems, even social problems. Yani, a man with her was his with his wife. They have a problem. We cannot fix it. They go. They go to court wherever we try to follow, and we have a legal defense system to help them, you know. Uh. Meanwhile, we have to recognize that also their churches are doing a lot of work because we cannot uh, uh, reach out to those who have entered illegally to the country. They don't have illegal status. They go to their churches, whether they are Chaldean or Greek uh, Syria Catholic or Assyrian, whatever it is. So uh, also their churches uh, do certain amount of the job. Sometimes they refer to us, we try to help out when we can also, in this respect.
0: No, I mean Caritas Iraq today,
2: do they ask you for help? Or they have no, Caritas Iraq, they are working in Iraq with the partners, like Catholic Relief Service is one of the major partners. Le Secours Catholique de France, Caritas France, is a major partner. Caritas Germany is a partner to them. Yani they have, like we, projects and programs And they are financed, funded by the other caritases or other uh, uh, agencies. You see, it's like we do. We write proposals and we get funding for these projects and programs.
1: I'm going to I get to ask a question.
2: Go ahead, please.
1: Um, I'm trying to uh, look at a positive future. You know, first starting with the negative. When we look throughout the world, there's interreligious tension. I mean, in the United States, we have some states considering anti-Sharia. In France, there's tensions between religions. Um, Could Lebanon be an example, both in the personal, but also uh, through institutions? Can Lebanon be, and, and Lebanon being unique because it has so many different religious groups, can Lebanon be a model that the world can look at for being one of religious tolerance between all religions? Is is it possible? Are we getting there?
2: I think Lebanon is best fit to be a model for this. Well, we are getting there, yes. And especially if we are able to to overcome the political uh, things, you know, little political uh, uh, things. Yes, we are there. Because Lebanon is made up of 18 different religious communities. Christian, Muslim and Jews. Now there are no more Jews because uh, during the war they had to flee, you know, b- because of the antagonistic feelings against them. But even with no Jews around, now uh, uh, Lebanon is uh, renovating the synagogue in the, at the heart of Beirut because we feel it's our duty. Uh, at the level of the people, we have no problem whatsoever. We interact with, us, w- with each other on a daily basis, in a normal uh, way, horizontally, uh, there is no problem. We exchange visits. Our kids, they grow up together. You know, men and women, they fall in love with each other of different religions because we are live in mixed areas. It's not, it's not always uh, uh, segregated, you know, like uh, these people here and that. It's not always the case. And even now, the last few years, even the once-was-purely-Christian area has received so many Muslims, and once-was-purely-Muslim area had received Christians, whatever. It's not the, the, our problem, I, I believe. And yes, it, Lebanon can serve as a model, but the problem is Lebanon has been used, and is being used, unfortunately, as a playground for regional and international politics, because Lebanon politicians are a corrupt bunch. Uh, This is my country, I have the right to say it. (laughs) They are a very corrupt bunch. They have corrupted everything they've touched, unfortunately. And, And they have, their patrons are outside Lebanon, and they are but puppets for those patrons. So that they could have more gains and more power and more and more. And they're exploiting their religious belonging for that purpose. I say it with a very clear conscience because we are sick and tired of them. And however, however, our people are not ready yet. They are not mature enough yet to say no to all of them during the election time. When election comes, we forget our frustrations and many follow That leader, follow that leader, follow that leader. And that's what happens. Okay, why don't we have one more and then we can break it up and have informal discussion.
3: Please. when you talk about it in small communities. (laughs) But that will not affect what the governments in the Middle East who are supporting these uh, fundamentals. What shall we do to protect the Christians in these places? And the biggest question is, what shall we do to protect the changes that will take place in our countries, the states, and in Europe? to the increase of the number of the Muslims in our countries. And they are demanding to implement their own laws, the Sharia. In their countries, you are not allowed to ask for your freedom. You have to follow their rules, their laws, whatever they carry on in their religion. And when they come to the Christian countries, they want are lost to be implemented when you go to oh, okay? Can you, can you answer
2: some of that? Well, to start with the end, first of all, the Western countries are not Christian countries any longer, they refused to be called the Christian countries when the European Union had their constitution. They refused even to recognize their Christian roots. Am I right or not? Yeah, well. I think it's not uh, we, we shouldn't uh, think in this manner any longer. We should I believe change start with me. Meaning with each one of us as individuals and as collectivities. If we believe in this and we start changing then uh, yes change is possible to take place. Governments only interests change them we all know that they don't change because, because of a philosophy or because of just simple belief they change because the interest shifts and they shift with their interest whether it's a Gulf state a country or Islamic country or uh, uh, American country or a European country whatever it is they change wherever their interest shifts I think we shouldn't stop at the, we shouldn't be nearsighted, Yani, and say, here the numbers are growing and they're imposing this and we should react this way and whatever. I say, it's about time to be proactive, not reactive. Proactive. To be proactive means take a new initiative. And that's why I mentioned what I mentioned. First, we have to start by ourselves. Yani, you know, have self-critique and see, where did we go wrong and let's correct our acts. And second, ask the other to do the same and let's together see where we can head together and arrive. It's not an easy situation, I know. You shake your head, I shake, I shake it myself as well. Tell you, It's not an easy situation. We are not living in the Platonian city here, but it is possible if we really uh, put our heads together on this, it's possible to do it. And I allow me to say I have a belief in the younger generation and I feel the younger generation should be mobilized much further and more in depth. The younger generation, they should be able to overcome the little things of their the daily life and work for a better, higher objective, for a higher purpose, and this one could be a real higher purpose.
1: We can now um, we have we're coming to the end. We can still have a little more discussions informally, but I'd like to thank everyone for coming. Two quick things: one, this has been taped, so or so if you are uh, in a couple days, it'll be on the Arab Islamic Studies. (coughs) (coughs) In a couple weeks, it'll be up. (laughs) (laughs) In a couple weeks, it's going to be on the Arab Islamic Studies uh, website at uh, Villanova, so you can look (coughs) if you came late. And second, there is going to be an effort to do some. Uh, fundraising on <coughs> campus for the Syrian refugees uh, and which will be funneled through the CRS to Caritas, Caritas Lebanon. Lebanon so you will let you know about it we don't have the information yet
3: can you give us an address now if we want to yeah. send donations
1: sure
2: sure, sure. Okay. Uh, Just, uh, yeah you do this, this is the best way Caritas, Lebanon. Okay, good. Okay. since CRS is here on campus this is the best way good. we are brother and sister Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.